Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. I am a religion recovery coach who helps people with life after religion. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger, and I am super excited to have Andrew Jasko on the podcast today. Andrew Jasko has a master's in divinity and then a master's in counseling and psychology. He is the founder of Life After Dogma, and he left his religious faith because of experiencing religious trauma. He is considered an expert in healing religious trauma and he uses spirituality or whatever people think is necessary to heal their religious trauma. Thank you for coming on the show, Andrew. It's a pleasure. Oh yeah, I'm excited for this. So it's definitely it's interesting to have someone with the same first name. <laughs> I rarely yeah. meet Andrews ever, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm assuming your parents had a biblical reason for that because that was that was my parents that gave me that for biblical. Of course, we yes. gotta we gotta lead people to Jesus. You know? <laughs> Andrew was was the first evangelist. They said, <laughs> "Got you." And it's interesting because my middle name is Marcus, and when I tell people that, they're like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. They didn't give you your first name as Marcus." <laughs> I'm like, "It's whatever. It's fine." Like, I think Andrew's a fine name. Um, but yeah, so these interviews, they're about personal story. So I'm just curious, what was your childhood like regarding religion and how did that impact you? So it impacted me before I was born. Oh, my, my parents, uh, my father is an Assemblies of God Pentecostal mm -hmm. minister. And so he felt called to start a church in New Jersey. And my mother was pregnant with me and she had this prophecy about me that I was going to be this man of God. And mm -hmm. so I sort of had this mantle, they use the word in that context, or this, this mm -hmm. vocational concept on me from a young age that I really took to and really wanted for myself as well. But that I was going to be a minister and a leader in the church. And so I took that very seriously. And just as a kid, I was in church all the time. So my father started a church and I mean, I would be, I remember myself handing out chick tracks, doing mall evangelism for the oh. church as like a little kid. And not the chick tracks. Ugh, I hate the chick tracks. Yeah. So oh, <laughs> damn. It's so funny because I rarely meet people who know what a chick track is. And when I meet someone, I'm like, yeah, you've been traumatized. Like, it's uh -huh. not good. And for people listening, chick tracks are these very ratchet cartoon tracks that were given to children and they were very scary and very inappropriate for children very fear-based 
but I just wanted to say that and sorry, you can go on now. <laughs> yeah. So, so I mean, church was, was my life, you know, I went to church multiple times a week, was really, really involved. And for me, my relationship with God was everything. It was the foundation of everything in my reality, my approach to life. And, um, I was, also terrified of hell and demon possession as a little kid. I remember lying on my bed as like a, as like a six or five year old kid and being terrified that if I went to sleep without confessing some sin, I was going to lose consciousness and end up waking up in hell essentially. And so I would obsessively and compulsively pray the sinner's prayer as a little Mm. kid, uh, because even though they told us that we were safe, that we were saved, they also constantly threatened us and Mm. undermined that promise by telling us we could lose our salvation. And, you know, I call this eternal insecurity. Really, in pretty much every Christian context, you never really know if you're saved, whether they're Calvinists and they think you have predestination, but you can't really know if you're one of the elect for sure, you know, or if you could lose your salvation. So you're always driven to rely on the institution and its mechanisms Uh, to really give you that sense of safety, but they're always threatening to take it away too. So that was an issue for me. And I had a lot of anxiety as a result of that. I think I'm someone who's also predisposed to that. So Mm. that made that much worse for me. But uh, yeah, I I just had a lot of fear as a young person and growing up in the church and really, really had a hard time with his teachings on sexuality, was just tormented as an adolescent, having these really powerful urges and then being told that my thoughts could Mm. lead me, land me into hell, you know, with Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, that if you lust after a woman in your heart, it's better for you to cut off a part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell, right? So that's this severe form of psychological torture and literally being burned with fire and tortured, mm, being associated yeah. with sexuality, with, with just basic, just having sexual impulses, mm, not even doing yeah. anything sexual necessarily. So, so I, you know, I really had a hard time with that, but I just kind of thought that that was the way life works. This is just part of reality. This is something, this is part of the human struggle, having a sinful nature. And I pressed onward, ended up studying biblical studies and ministry at Wheaton College, an evangelical Christian school, and uh, became an associate minister and uh, planned on becoming a missionary to India to convert Hindus and Muslims to Christianity because by reaching all the ethno-linguistic people groups, we were going to bring Jesus back for the second coming. So for me, this was like the most hardcore thing you can do with your life, you know? And so I was really into that, went to India multiple times and went to Princeton Seminary to get my Master's of Divinity and really deeply study the Bible. Uh, But I ended up having a rude awakening during that time because I was just struggling so much psychologically with all of this anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, sexual repression. And I was just desperate to get better. So I really started working therapy and just 
just started questioning because of my unhappiness and my distress. And that led me to realize that Christianity and teachings in the Bible and religious practices were a root cause for my psychological issues. And so then I began to question more on an intellectual level and over a period of a couple years ended up becoming an atheist after I gave up my dream of becoming a missionary mm. to India, became yeah. a minister in New York, and then woke up one day and said, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. And when you woke up that morning, how did that feel to have that realization? It felt really free. It felt really liberating, really mm. relieving. Oh my, yes. And like all the things you're saying, I sadly relate so much to your story because the obsession with praying, confessing, uh, the issues with sexuality, and it, just constant anxiety, psychological issues. And the thing is, they tell you a lot that it's your fault because you're not conforming or you're not trusting enough. And even with the salvation thing, it was interesting because my church would say, oh, you can be secure in your salvation, but if you show this, this, or this signs, it's possible that you're not saved at all and you're actually headed for hell. So the more you conformed, the more you're most likely to go to heaven, at least. And it was weird. It was contradictory messaging. And so, yeah, I relate to a lot of what you've experienced. And it's just, you know, and even you're talking about how your mother had that prophecy or about how you were going to be a minister. Like, I'm sure that added so much pressure to really conform to that. And when you were growing up, did she tell that to you a lot like oh like god has a big plan for you you're gonna be a minister i know it or what does she say to you when you grew up yeah i mean a lot of people from my church and community would give me different prophetic words or mm. or reinforce that idea yeah. uh -huh. so it was something that i was just living in all the time mm, interesting but you know it was it wasn't just them it was also that I think I have a personality where I'm well suited to this kind of profession. So it, it also made sense for me. Mm, I see. Um, and so you, you grew up Pentecostal, right? It sounds mm -hmm. like it. Okay. Right. Got you. Interesting. Okay. And so when did you start to realize that this cause, this religion caused trauma in your life? I, I mean, I really started to realize it when I was at seminary, when I was studying for my Master of Divinity. And looking back, I could see that there were a lot of issues all along that, but I, I wasn't able to identify them and to see that it was the religion that was causing them. I was just suffering. And I thought it was something that was wrong with me. So I think that's probably the case for a lot of people and a lot of Christians that they're suffering and, you know, they're just not aware that it's the religion that's causing it. They tend to blame it on themselves or something else. Yeah, that's interesting because I've been writing a book since I was 19 and I struggled a while. Like, what am I going to call this book? And after like writing the first draft and like, you know, I want to call this book Suffering in Silence because that's what I see a lot in these churches. That's what I experience. And that's, I feel like a lot of religious trauma survivors, they suffered in silence for so long. And so tell me about your deconstruction journey and how you came from being this person who wanted to spread the gospel to an atheist. Tell mm -hmm. me how you got there. That's mm -hmm. so interesting to me. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's also interesting, too, that a lot of the times the religion is causing people the trauma that they are then going to the religion to get healed from. And it's re-traumatizing and further traumatizing. So it's this cycle. It's this feedback loop here. And that they don't realize that the cause of the trauma is the belief system itself. Uh, but it's 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 very hard to see. Uh, so for me, with my deconstruction process, it really started from this place of desperation and just a realization of how miserable I was and and just committing to myself i'm going to do what it takes to be free of this fear and this suffering and when that happened i think i just began to realize pretty quickly that my belief system was part of the problem Uh, also being at princeton seminary helped me because i was with christians who were more liberal more progressive so they were they would often have no trouble embracing sexuality or embracing homosexuality or or these other things that uh, I, I was I think I was starting to realize never really sat right with me that those things were problematized in the church that I was a part of. And so being around people who were less prohibitive, less restrictive, more free helped me to question. And uh, then it, it was really just a matter of of connecting the dots. I think I'm naturally a critical thinker, someone who who tends to question things. And so then I just began to see, you know, that there were errors in the Bible, that there were mm. unhealthy and toxic teachings in the Bible, that, that clearly that, you know, that that because there were these teachings that were psychologically harmful, you know, not everything in it could be true. And mm. that there were and not only are there errors in the Bible, but there are atrocious and perpetrative teachings, uh, great, great injustices and harms. And uh, so really, I, I think it, it was pretty easy after that to deconstruct, except really, I also found myself trying harder to make it work for a period of time and a lot of this is common with religious trauma a lot of people will do this uh because you you know it's a really big thing to to give up and a big thing to admit to yourself that this thing i've devoted my whole life to isn't working and that i may have to lose something that's such a big part of my identity and my life and my and my sense of belonging and safety and my whole way of navigating the world and understanding everything you know to to give that up is is a really huge thing and it's not primarily an intellectual matter even if uh, people end up leaving for intellectual reasons these are really core human needs that we're talking about here And so I ended up trying out more liberal progressive Christianity for a couple of years and even became an associate minister in a Presbyterian church. But it just really came to the point where I I said, you know, the the whole thing doesn't really work for me. And I feel like my life is better off without it. Like it it does not even really serving a necessary function Mm. anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah, I definitely relate so much to that. And so tell me about your journey of healing your religious trauma. Yeah. So when I left Christianity, that was one of the hardest times of my life. It was just this massive 
crisis, a massive identity crisis, uh, because fundamentalist religion is in some ways like an identity disorder. It co-ops a person's identity and really takes over your life. And so losing that, for many people, it can feel like you're losing everything and you're losing yourself and you don't know who you are anymore, what to do or how to orient. And so that was definitely the case for me. And uh, more than that, then I didn't have a job because I had trained to be a minister. I had no backup plan, nothing else to do. So I really struggled with finding work and then finding meaningful work. And this is something that I think most ministers who leave their religion tend to really, really suffer with. And uh, so it, it was just this long period of dislocation and disillusionment. And for me, also losing spirituality was very traumatic and very difficult. I had this grandiose sense of meaning and purpose. You know, everything fit into this nice, neat little scheme. We had all the answers. And then suddenly for there to be essentially nothing and I have to figure that all out was very, very disillusioning. I, I mean, I found Christianity to be disillusioning because it didn't meet my spiritual needs. Uh, that was also part of why I left is that I didn't really have the kind of spiritual transformation that they promised me. I didn't really have this very clear spiritual experience. It was always questionable. It felt kind of semi-hypnotic or induced by emotional preaching and music. And, you know, like I could never really know whether I was hearing God's voice or it was just me making it up and things like that or suggestibility. And so then here I was an atheist. And um, part of the reason I became an atheist was because I, I connected with some community online and just some people who were working in the field of religious trauma and uh, found that to be very useful and helpful. Uh, but they were all of the persuasion uh, that basically all religion is the same as Christianity. It's all made up. It's all superstitious and that there is no real spiritual experience. This is just a mythical thing that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's largely delusional or that people have come to for a variety of, of historical reasons. And there's really no place for it or, or no validity to it, except maybe as myth or a symbol. And uh, so it ends that rationality and science are the answer, which I mean, I agree with to a substantial extent. And that philosophical materialism, the philosophy that the material world, the world of the five senses and the sense objects, that which we detect through our physical senses is all that there is essentially. And so that was what I went with. That was just the new reality. That was what was safe. But, but it was also just, it, I felt very alone in that view of the universe. I felt like I was isolated and, and separate, just an individual. I had to make all the meaning uh, by myself and I was just fighting this war against death and I die and that was it. And it was this is mm -hmm. very, very massive loss and uh, very challenging thing to go through. And so I ended up moving across the country to California 
in order to get some distance from just a big church community and to restart. And I did that and I, I poured a lot of time into therapy and I ended up working with psychedelics with psilocybin mushrooms mm. because I had heard that they were really powerful for healing trauma. And yeah. so as I was working with these, with these powerful natural plant medicines, uh, I found myself having spiritual experiences for the first time, mm. uh, ones that were very vivid and clear and profound and undeniable and nothing like what I had experienced when I was religious. They weren't imagined. They weren't things I could make up and they weren't, weren't things that I had thought about or mm. experienced or seen before. And so really, as I continued to practice, I also started meditating and yeah. doing breath work and other kinds of practices uh, that uh, some people will call psycho-spiritual practices, uh, uh, yeah. but, but these different techniques for, uh, for altering consciousness that are also profoundly healing for trauma. Mm -hmm. And so through, through these different means, I, I worked through my trauma and healed and, and then started uh, working with other people to heal religious trauma. Mm, yes. And the psychedelic thing is so interesting to me because it is something um, that I have looked into for doing myself. And it is something I'm going to start using, which anyone listening, what I am doing it's not recommended. I have decided to go off of my antidepressants without asking my doctor, but don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Um, which I talked to my therapist about, and I was like, hey, like, want to let you know, like, I'm being smart about it, though, because I'm, you'd never, ever stop taking your antidepressants. Just stop. You have to, like, slowly get off it in increments. You can't just stop taking it for anyone listening. Or you'll have to go probably to the hospital because there can be some terrible side effects you just stop it but for me psychedelics is something that i've want i've wanted to do probably for the past six months which i've waited patiently um but now i've been on antidepressants for like two years and i'm slowly now starting to get off of them and once my mind or body is like flushed of all that medication i want to start experimenting with psychedelics with spiritual experiences and healing trauma and it's something i've read a lot about and like there's just one book which you might have read it is called sacred knowledge um religion something about like religion and spiritual experiences and, and use of psychedelics um and it's about this scientist who studied psychedelics and the experiences that people had. And, you know, it's something because it's interesting because the book talked about how, you know, you don't take psychedelics to have a good time because some scary things can happen um, in certain situations or certain kind of hallucinations or visions that you have because of it. And he talks about different experiences that he's been through with patients and how, yes, some of the things they went through were scary, but it helped them process the trauma. And so I'm just curious, what got you to the point to use psychedelics um, to heal trauma? And could you talk a little bit maybe about the science behind that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I ended up learning about psychedelics really just through the community that I was a part of. And just, just, I had a lot of friends and people who were familiar and who were working with them. And uh, so, so the first time that I worked with them was with other people and then more on their own for healing. 
and so so yeah they're very very powerful and uh, i mean people use them recreationally and mm-hmm. i don't recommend against that necessarily yeah. if you're doing it in a supported way i mean i mm-hmm. i think we should have the freedom to work with these yeah. substances however we we want but that being said if you want to get the healing benefits mm-hmm. uh, the best way to to really work with them is in a in a contain in a healing container mm-hmm. uh, with a facilitator or at least with someone who can sit with you mm-hmm. and in a very safe and comfortable setting and really to wear eye shades or and to focus inward and to really mm-hmm. put most of your attention inward to the the kind of visionary experiences that you're having yeah. and the revelations that you're getting because you can work with them in such a way where you're you're not really that focused on the experience mm-hmm. and not not really getting the full benefit from it or even having a, a negative mm-hmm. experience uh so and you're right it, it's not when you when you're doing that kind of inner work it's not so much recreational because yeah. uh these mm-hmm. these medicines tend to take us to the roots of our trauma yeah uh, there there's a almost a a kind of a an intelligent healing process that mm-hmm. unfolds yeah. in this journey it it often feels as if it's uh, as if it's guided by the medicine or by something mm-hmm. or maybe it's yeah. your brain but whatever it is it has that felt experience of being this kind of guided intelligent mm-hmm. unfolding and healing yeah. process that that has a way of its own that we in that experience surrender to and embrace you don't have control over mm-hmm. it and and in some ways part of the healing is is relinquishing that control and finding that yeah the, the, this almost the kind of a sense of trust uh which i i think has a parallel in religion uh, that, mm. you know, you don't have to just figure it all out with your mind or with what people will call your ego, that there mm. are processes in nature and in our bodies and in our brains mm. yeah. that really uh, bring out this this natural healing process mm. yeah. and that we can learn to work with. And, and so that's mm-hmm. what tends to happen in, in a psychedelic journey is it will take you to, you, you go into this journey often with an intention, this is something I want to work mm-hmm. on, something I want to heal. And often in the journey, it will, it will show you these different memories or, or times when you developed certain unhealthy patterns or when you had these traumas that were at the root of it and you're able to to feel maybe feelings you weren't able to feel or that you've suppressed and and have a cathartic experience and then often have some kind of vision or experience that gives you a a a new truth or or a Mm. new meaning in, in in place of that that trauma so you're able to kind of go all the way to the other side of that thing and then like find a the gold at the at the, the gold pot at the end of the rainbow yes. or something like that and so that's what i find too with healing trauma is that there's a strength that comes when you come to the other side of it that you you might not have had before or without having that experience so that's that's part of how psychedelics work and, and then they have all all kinds of different mystical type experiences that provide a lot of the healing benefits Mm -hmm. these and and there are all different kinds of categories like what people will call a unitive or non-dual experience an experience of being 
uh, one with the universe or having your consciousness expanded and being a part of nature or merging with nature and interacting with what seem to be entities or other beings and uh, all kinds of different spiritual type experiences that have certain religious parallels, mm -hmm. but not just with Christianity, often more with shamanic and indigenous spiritual traditions yeah. and mm -hmm. with Eastern traditions. And so what is your personal experiences been like? Like, how do you interpret it? And like, I guess what is important is what do you mean by spirituality and spiritual experiences? Because I know people have different definitions. So from your perspective, what do you mean when you say that? So when I say spirituality, I mean in, in a basic form consciousness or consciousness studies. Mm. So the, the study of subjectivity, of, of what it is to be a being with mm. experience. And uh, so I would call a spirit something with consciousness uh, okay got you and uh, when we're when we talk about spiritual evolution it's enhancing our consciousness enhancing our mm. felt experience enhancing your ability to yeah. navigate emotions and to mm. to tolerate distress so it's related to psychology but but i think it's also deeper mm, it also has to do yeah. with integrating different forms of consciousness and yeah. the lessons that we learn from exploring consciousness mm. and how that can really make us the higher highest most self-actualized version of ourselves and mm. also being yeah. more connected to our environment often yeah. in our default state of consciousness we view ourselves as as being separate as not being connected to a greater ecosystem or a greater mm -hmm. whole or the planet or the cosmos and when you have uh, these non-ordinary states of consciousness expanded states of consciousness uh, a key feature of these experiences whether they're produced by psychedelics or something else or even spontaneously which can happen that uh, you'll have these profound experiences of really almost being outside of your mind, of being part of a greater whole, of, of, of unity with nature. And so having mm -hmm. more of an ecosystem type view where we're less separate, where we're more integrated. And mm -hmm. when you have that kind of a perspective, a new sense of morality emerges. Uh, a kind of intuitive sense of morality where, mm. you know, you, you don't want to harm uh, the the ecosystem if it's a part of your greater body or if you're part mm. of its greater body because yeah. it's you. You're not really separate from it. And so a lot of these lessons, different spiritual traditions will talk about these learnings that we can have. Mm. Yeah, this is so interesting because for me psychology is something also that i want to pursue right now i'm finishing up my bachelor's degree and i do want to get a master's in clinical mental health and eventually a doctorate in psychology because i do want to research religious trauma and help people heal and right now in my undergrad i'm in a social science class and I, you know i picked to research the issue of uh, specifically religious trauma and being lgbtq plus and how to assist like queer people who want to have a spirituality who want to have faith and how do we because like in a lot of a lot of psychologists are usually secular and they're not trained in how to use spirituality to help people or unless they have their own spirituality and they might use that experience to help someone possibly but otherwise 
it's kind of they're seen as separate which um i can understand why some can come to that conclusion but you know every patient will have different needs to recover and i think it's important for people to realize with religious trauma survivors even though not everyone there's there'll be some that want some form of spirituality or a feeling of that connectedness back and when i really started digging into it i'm like psychedelics would seem like a great thing for religious trauma survivors who want to find that connectedness and maybe even want to just try to heal from their trauma and like i know they've done research into it and hopefully doctors will be able to use it legally all across um the board but could you dig into i guess and if it's too personal you don't have to but could you dig into some specific like i guess you would say like insights or visions that you've had through psychedelics yeah yeah sure and i do think that psychedelics are uniquely powerful mm. for the issue yeah. of religious trauma yeah uh, profoundly because religious trauma i mean is really i mean it's a form of trauma so there's there's mm -hmm. ptsd type symptoms and anxiety and depression and all of these things psychedelics have been evidenced to treat uh, through multiple studies and also studies that are happening right now. And, uh, but beyond that too, part of the trauma of religious trauma is existential. And this is something yeah. people don't talk about much, but there's a construct in psychology known as existential anxiety. Mm -hmm. So fear of death is a big part of religious trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, just a, a sense of being alone in the universe and yeah. just a sense of often nihilism or purposelessness, mm, uh, all yeah. things that the religion, at least to an extent, provided for. And now that yeah. you lose that, it's just like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> like, what do we, what do I do now? Um, and, yeah. and it's just a very a difficult place to be existentially mm. and psychedelics uh, more than anything I've encountered are powerful for working through that. I mean, uh, they definitely make you face your fear of death, but also mm. uh, deal with, with that fear. And, and people tend to have experiences of, of almost like dying a sense of their ego dissolving. Oh, wow. And then a sense of being, uh, uh, just this fundamental consciousness, people will call it unity consciousness or uh, this kind of a, a transcendent type state or realm uh, that's mm -hmm. that's described in a lot of Eastern traditions, even somewhat in, in mystical Christianity, in, in mystical traditions. Yeah. And as, as so finding that really uh, through my psychedelic experiences coming to find that death is not something to be feared mm. that it's it's a part of life it's a fundamental part of the fabric of the cosmos and uh, you know it's just as necessary as life and that it's not something that needs to be clinched onto so tightly and uh, that there's a there's a lot that can be learned from integrating the lessons of death psychologically when it's time to let go and surrender mm. and and that new life can come as a result of it and so that that's one of the lessons and also a sense of meaning and purpose. I found that through a lot of my psychedelic experiences, I really connected with my deepest values and desires. And, yeah. and so that's part of what led me in, in the direction of, of mm -hmm. just pursuing this career direction. So I think it, it can really help people deeply come in, into contact with themselves as well.
Um, I, I mean, I've had some really cool experiences. Uh, I, I mean, I've had the the experience too of of uh, of being a woman in a woman's body, having a sexual experience in a uh-huh. woman's body, and then huh. and then having this grand vision of sexuality in the universe, and and seeing mm. uh, how other beings reproduce, and seeing this cycle of reproduction in the planets and in the cosmos, wow. and then just having this kind of grand vision of like, wow, sexuality is 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 part of is is life itself, and mm. this beautiful thing. And for me, that was very healing of my religious trauma and, and view of sexuality and and also just kind of some of the gender stuff and the like, yeah. okay now i'm now i'm the uh, the other gender and, and uh, isn't interesting. that interesting and, yeah. and that's a very actually common kind of experience uh, uh, to have in a, in a psychedelic state yeah that's interesting and, because sorry go on yeah and, and, and so it, it's often that way in, in in a psychedelic and not just psychedelics again in in mysticism there are other techniques mm-hmm. i really highly recommend breath work you can just look up breath work yeah. or holotropic breath work as something that you can do to access some of these states even without taking psychedelics and there are other things too uh, because it's a natural part of the human brain and we have these the, these mechanisms in the brain and these ways of accessing our deeper or other aspects mm. of our humanity that aren't typically accessible in our normal waking consciousness. Uh, so, so it's a typical feature of, of psychedelic journeys and mystical states of consciousness where uh, it, it will take us to this, this wound or this trauma and then it'll bring us psychological and cosmological insights and it'll just connect it to just mm-hmm. our individual journey and then to like a broader scope as well. Mm, yes, it's so fascinating and I love hearing and talking about psychedelics because it's something that's always excited me. But I think, you know, growing up in a very strict religious environment, the stigma behind just the word drug which they have a very black and white view towards it and like when i told a friend about psychedelics they're like oh like drugs can't really do that for you and i'm like this is different like you don't know what you're talking about like this is not what you think and you know it's not toxic and this is not addictive either which is incredible to me when i read about that with um psychedelics and i think it's interesting because you know what you're talking about with about um you know growing consciousness and self-actualizing it really um makes me think of carl's young's um individuation process mm-hmm. which i love carl young so much and so I don't, I, i'm curious if he ever tried psychedelics just for some of the experience he had he, i haven't heard him like write about it yet i haven't seen anything but i'm just curious because um he seems to have some kind of contact with some kind of other realm or some part of his mind or his brain and he really encouraged the individuation process with people finding really their own subjective truth really because he was so frustrated with how religion really stifled people's growth and imagination and he's like no like we need people to do more introspection and to grow and you know he loved mythology um and he wanted to see it used to help people grow psychologically but the church didn't want to see it that way they wanted to take it very literally and be dogmatic and control people um and you know what do you think the future is going to be of psychedelics in like the next decade or so 
Yeah, and I mean, Jung was one of the the founders or one of the the big mm-hmm. leaders of of transpersonal psychology, which yeah. is the study of what we're talking about, basically mm-hmm. non ordinary states of consciousness yeah. and and these other aspects of psychology. And uh, so he provided a, a template for a lot of the work that's being done right now and for how people are making sense of their psychedelic experiences. Mm. And uh, this is one of my big criticisms of really part of the, the religious trauma and religious recovery movement that calls mm-hmm. itself secular is they don't really have any language or discussion for the these types of experiences and then there's mm. you know so it's so it's like okay it's great that you don't believe or you're skeptical but like how are you going to work with my client who's having these experiences or you yeah. know where do they go and what do i do and 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 then we write all these books and do all these research and then they just say oh it's superstition they don't even read it i mean it's mm. just it's for me it's the same kind of dogmatism yeah and uh it, but just in a different form. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, you can, I encourage people to think critically and be skeptical and make your own conclusions. You don't have to view it the way I'm viewing it, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, at least there has to be some, some diligent inquiry or discussion mm-hmm. or way of yeah. working with these things. Uh, otherwise it's, it's just, it's just denial. It's just dismissal. It's not, it's not science. It's not curious. It's not exploratory. So, um, what do I see as the future of, of psychedelics? Well, hopefully they're going to be, uh, fully decriminalized and legalized. And there's a lot of movements and work that that's being done on that. We already have that as the case in Oregon Mm. and, uh, also hopefully in the medical system as currently psilocybin's in stage three clinical trials with the FDA. And so is MDMA for treatment of depression for psilocybin and for PTSD for MDMA. So, and, and we currently have ketamine that's being used for depression. That's Mm -hmm. some somewhat different. It's, it's kind of its own drug. It's different than the, the classical Mm -hmm. serotonergic psychedelics. So, you know, I, my hope is that they'll be legalized and that there'll be a standard for mental health. And mm-hmm. that then that will open up also these other practices that people can use besides psychedelics. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think that this could go a long way to, to really healing a lot of division in society and mm-hmm. for addressing climate issues too, because yeah. psychedelics really tend to connect people with nature and to get people really concerned about taking care of, of nature and the Mm -hmm. ecosystem. So, but whether or not that will happen, I mean, you know, we also have the rise of fascism and, you know, so we have this opposing force that I think, I don't know, is, you know, might not be so friendly towards, towards like it. I mean, maybe some will Mm -hmm. though. It's, it's hard to say, uh, with with yeah. where the science goes and with where the treatment goes, but I know there's there's a lot of stigma, there's a lot of religious stigma, mm-hmm. yes. a lot of Christian stigma, oh, you know, yes. especially and and you know that it it creates this this conflict uh, or it, it confronts exclusivist religion inherently. Yes. I would say the psychedelic mm. experience because it brings people these kinds of encounters that were labeled as demonic in their religions yes. and and also 
gives people very positive experiences with beings yeah. that, that look like deities or entities and and having these kinds of experiences that were not acknowledged or typically labeled as evil in these religions and it tends to open people not open uh it tends to help people see and value insights in other religions and other traditions and other mm -hmm. cultures as well like i said like indigenous perspectives mm -hmm. yeah uh, which again were labeled as evil yeah. or demonic and what excites me so much about psychedelics is really the psychological development that it does for people and it's really what i see you're talking about and their change in perspective around the world around them and people and really that's what young was trying to push with really his approach for psychology he wanted really the evolution of the mind or of the psychological part of the mind to evolve so man could go to a higher state in society and possibly reach more peace and live in a better society um and you know he knew all the different conflicts and the issues that people had with it because we have the you know dogmatic christianity that doesn't want people to have these subjective experiences they want them to conform and be scared and go with the flow and submit to their doctrine but if they have the experiences that are different than what their religion tells them it, it will cause cognitive dissonance and i really think that's why a lot of these people are struggling with and anything that is unfamiliar is really i mean it's just it's scary to people in general it's, it's human nature but i feel like for these people it's on a whole other level when the unfamiliar is just so much more scary to them and i you know throughout history we've seen how anything that's different than the current dogma of the church it's seen as demonic mm -hmm. or evil or something that's just their way of dismissing it really and not having to deal with their own questioning or their own cognitive dissonance and so i mean what it, what advice do you have for people who want to use psychedelics i know they're not exactly legal for personal use but uh there are ways <laughs> yeah yeah i mean I, I mean i would say firstly like do some research uh, if mm -hmm. you're taking any medications or if you have any kind yeah. of issues that are contraindications mm -hmm. uh, specifically schizophrenia psychosis oh yeah uh, the, often bipolar so these are things that you want to look into mm. and uh, definitely make sure to work with it in a safe and comfortable setting like with someone else to at least sit with you if not a professional guide yeah. also if you can find a ceremony uh, there are lots of practitioners who will hold ceremonies where you you work in a small group of people it's a really good way to do it because it's professionally facilitated mm. and I mean, I would say just really go to psychedelic events where hmm. there are in a lot of places, there are different talks or lectures or meetups or groups or psychedelic societies mm -hmm. and just make friends with people who are also interested. Uh, yeah. So that's my recommendation if you're going to explore this to do it in in that kind of a way mm -hmm. where, you know, better than just just doing it on your own and I would much rather people have that community and that support. Yeah. So I think that's a good mm -hmm. way to yeah. go about it. And there are some legal groups. There are 
Okay, uh, there are. Okay. Th- I mean, there are a few. I mean, through religious freedom, some oh, s- some great. psychedelic churches have, have gotten Interesting. Wow. legal use. Yeah. So there's actually uh, something called the Santo Daime. Uh, there's a couple oh, actually uh, ayahuasca religions that came out of Peru, which have a, a mix yeah. of Christianity, which is really interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But they're so it's like they have all these hymns with some with Christian words and talking about Jesus but then they have all these other influences and it's really an interesting mix so i mean when we're talking about this in spirituality too there's a lot out there you know um so people still have all kinds of different ideas who who work with psychedelics or spirituality so you know Mm. they're I mean, it's still possible to be part of a cult and to use psychedelics or, yeah, you, you know, so, so it doesn't mean you, mm. you still need to use your critical thinking. You still yes. need to, you know, do, do everything else. It, it doesn't mean just because someone is spiritual that they don't have their own issues or abuses. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I don't think that means we should isolate and be terrified either. I mm. think it just yeah. means we need to pay attention to signs of, of abuse and manipulation mm. and, and to do yeah. our thinking. Mm. And and so you also mentioned the science. I wanted to touch on that briefly. So there's a lot of research going on right mm-hmm. now, and uh, there are different theories. And honestly, there's a lot left for us to learn as to how these oh, yes. these things mm-hmm. work. Uh, and I, and I guess I could go into some of the brain mechanisms, but I mean, you you can really look that up too. Mm-hmm. And and so there's there's some explanations for how this works on a biological level. Uh, but I don't think that that has explanatory power for the subjective mm, nature of no. the experiences. Mm-hmm. And and so people will often be dismissive of psychedelics too. They'll be like, well, it's a drug and there's a chemical reaction and we can study it. And therefore, it's all being generated mm. by the brain. Uh, and it is, yes, but like... Um, how mm. does that explain how people are having past life experiences yeah. and coming up with inventions or learning about things that they couldn't have known any other way or that they had yeah. no exposure to? And uh, so in my view, there's something else going on. Mm. And uh, I think there might there's some kind of a real interaction with reality outside the mind that mm. can happen. Uh, that's not solely being generated by the mm. chemicals in the brain. That's not, in other words, a hallucination or not entirely yeah. a hallucination. That doesn't mean that hallucinations don't happen or that the brain mm-hmm. isn't influencing it. I think that both might be at play. But that's mm. my explanation. That's my current understanding. Okay, gotcha. And so what advice do you have for people who are trapped in toxic religious environments and who are struggling with religious trauma oh man so much Uh, we could talk for hours on that uh um, and i know we've spent a lot of time talking about psychedelics and and spirituality uh, mm -hmm. but i mean the first thing i would say is congratulations (laughs) and uh that you should really commend yourself and congratulate yourself and take pride in yourself because questioning and being honest about your experience shows that you have a lot of integrity and sincerity. And probably you might be thinking the opposite about yourself right now than thinking that you're a sinner or this awful person or you failed. Uh, But in reality, people Mm -hmm. question uh, because of their commitment and devotion to truth and to being a, a good and authentic person. 
whatever you mean. But I mean, I guess by being a, yeah, by, by wanting to be in integrity and wanting to have a better life. And so, and coming to that realization, I would say, get help, get all the support and help you mm. can need. I highly recommend finding a therapist or someone to work with yeah. who you feel that understands what you're going through and, uh, you know, using any kind of resources that you can. This is one of the more major life events that people can go through mm. is, is, is giving up their religion or changing the religious identity. Mm. And, uh, so really you deserve all the support you can get and it's not just a minor thing it's not just something mm -hmm. that you should be able to get over in a year or even two it, it takes time and it takes a process yeah. and so you know commit to yourself and value yourself enough to allow yourself to go through that process with dignity and support the most support that you can have mm, yes and, most definitely mm-hmm yeah, and I would also say really embrace the the process of grieving. There's a lot mm -hmm. of grief yeah, involved, there is. a lot of loss. And so really feeling and acknowledging yourself for feeling all of the, the hard feelings, including anger, rage, mm -hmm. grief, yeah. uh, all the things that we were taught were bad or sinful often in, in our religion. Mm -hmm. yeah. these, these hard feelings are uh, when we really feel them and accept ourselves as we feel them and feel them in a way that feels supported and safe and process them and move through them. That's where the healing takes place. Not when we deny or suppress them or, or shame mm -hmm. ourselves for yeah. having them. Mm -hmm, most definitely. And I think another thing I guess I want to ask about is, could you explain to people about the work that you do and your organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can check me out at lifeafterdogma.org. I do a lot of writing. I have a lot of articles on my blog about religious trauma and uh, about the psychological abuses of fundamentalism, especially evangelical Christianity. So there's a lot of articles there kind of dissecting uh, and deconstructing fundamentalism and religious authoritarianism and, and mm -hmm. helping people to heal and also exploring and integrating spirituality. So I have a lot of free resources there. And then I do coaching and therapy uh, for, for people who are healing from religious trauma. So one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. and uh, in the near future, I'll be offering groups as well. So if you're interested in, in working with me, you can sign up and have a, a free discovery session on my site mm -hmm. as well. Mm, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Andrew. I really love the work that you are doing and you know how you're spreading awareness of this issue in your own experiences and is there any last thing that you would like to say before we end this interview i think think that's it i think we got it for now oh thank you so yes much. of course all right thank you everyone to for listening this was speaking up with andrew pledger thank you for listening to speaking up with andrew pledger your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.